Suppose there is this group of crossbred working dogs that has developed its own little subculture of fans. It's not a breed really, but someone clearly put some thought behind the crosses with a purpose in mind. Beyond that though, the dog's origin story is murky. Should we research, parse, categorize, and standardize the dogs into a definable breed, or just embrace the mystery? Welcome to Farm Dog. This is Farm Dog, the podcast about the working dogs of farming, ranching, homesteading, and rural living. Farm Dog is presented by Goats on the Go, a national network of independent business owners who provide sustainable weed and brush control for their customers using goats. Want to put goats to work on your vegetation problem? Interested in launching your own goat grazing business? The place to start is goatsonthego.com. Welcome to Farm Dog. I'm your host, Aaron Steele, and I am joined today by Seth Simpson. Uh, Seth is from Southwest Idaho, and he is a fan and owner of a breed of dog that is kind of like this mystery dog that I have been trying to track down somebody to talk to me about this dog for some time. It is the Idaho Shag, and I'm super excited to have Seth. Um, in in my kind of pre-recording conversation with Seth here, it like it only added to the my- mystery and mystique around this dog. So I'm so excited, Seth, for that you could join us. Seth, just tell us a little bit about yourself, um, how you came to know the Idaho Shag, how you use the Idaho Shag uh, there in Southwest Idaho, and maybe just tell us a little bit more about your interest in dogs in general. All right. Um, yeah, I live out here in Idaho and. Uh... We do a lot of, of hunting, especially coyote hunting. I have been born and raised here, and we've always been into hunting and fishing. My family wasn't into dogs at all. Really, we had family dogs, but uh, my family actually wasn't really into hunting even. So I'm kind of self-started and self-taught when it comes to the, the dogs and the, the hunting, but Idaho has unlimited opportunity for all that stuff so uh, it was easy enough to to get myself into um when it comes to these these dogs Idaho shag i grew up with border collies and they're one of my favorite dogs or obviously need no ex- explanation uh i saw idaho shags for the first time on working ranches in the lemhi valley in idaho and that's pretty close to where they originally came from and I just have, uh, as a kid, I was probably around 10 years old and uh, around these, these ranches, I was, I was always into dogs as a kid and I remember asking the rancher what these fuzzy looking, poodle looking dogs were. And he told me they were Idaho shags and said they were really good cow dogs and super tough and aggressive and they really liked them. And that always kind of stuck with me and how unique they were and how apparently they were uh, really, really great working dogs. When I was uh, sort of the tail end of high school and recently graduated, I was really getting into coyote hunting uh, as, as much as I was anything else. I was also into like, waterfowl hunting, upland bird hunting with dogs, but the coyote hunting was becoming a big passion, uh, but I loved uh, dogs and, and working dogs. I wanted to incorporate a dog into that style of hunting. I'd seen decoy dogging uh, on YouTube and 
some, some videos that had come out with that. And so I had an idea of what that was and uh, had an idea of what kind of dog I thought I, I thought I needed to, to get to get into that. Um, it was kind of just uh, luck, I guess. Uh, I kind of pursued getting uh, a Catahoula to start with on that. And that didn't pan out with that, that breeder. Uh, the litter didn't take. I'd actually put a deposit in for that. And then I was back to square one and just looking through the local classifieds. I'd been looking for an Idaho shag uh, tentatively before that, but they weren't, it was very uncommon to see them, even though I live in Idaho and close to you know, where they were, they definitely weren't uh, uh, seen often. But I happened to find uh, an ad close to me and went out to this rancher's place and him and his wife had a litter of puppies and there was only one left out of the litter. It was a pretty big litter, but they'd all uh, been sold. And I was happy to, to take the, the last one. They all looked about the same. Uh, and that dog was uh, half shag uh, and uh, half hanging tree. And this rancher was just a, a hard old cowboy and uh, he wasn't, nothing was real fancy. Uh, his dogs weren't uh, super trained, but he did have a high standard for his dogs and, and what he expected out of them, and that was obvious. And so I felt that I was off to a good start with, with or, or had a good prospect here anyways. And that dog ended up becoming uh, nothing short of great. He, whether it was coyote hunting or cows, uh, decoying, tracking, uh, he did it all really well and i got really lucky uh in in finding that in the one of the first dogs that i tried and that obviously really sold me on the Idaho shag um and shortly after that dog became good enough that he started to become uh somewhat well known and that brought me to be introduced to uh ben james and the james family and they were able to uh, share with me about these dogs and how they developed and what they've been doing with them for you know decades. Uh, I was able to get a female off of uh, their great dogs and had a few really awesome litters between Ringo, my my first dog, and this dog Rhonda that I got from them. Uh, some of the dogs that came from out of that pairing. I uh, went to my friends and I kept some for myself and uh, the majority of the dogs I have today are uh, somehow go back to Ringo and Rhonda. Um, Rhonda was uh, part Australian Shepherd uh, and when we were previously talking and I guess we'll probably get into that later in the conversation uh, what breeds they have been you know crossed with and and maintained with over these decades but uh Rhonda was just like Ringo and uh, super super at everything very gritty uh, very intelligent just everything you could could really hope for a, a, a herding dog to be um and since then I've had other dogs off of them and uh bred with some other dogs that they've sold to, to other people and uh this feel privileged to have been able to uh, be around these these high quality dogs that go back to these original lines and I guess that's partly why 
I wanted to come on to the to the podcast and talk about them because I know they aren't the type of people to do that, and there's a lot of misinformation floating around about the dogs. So uh, they were nice enough to uh, give me the time of day and and give me some, some really cool information. So I'm happy to share that. Yeah, thank you so much, Seth. That is a fantastic introduction. And um, let me just say here that the story of the Idaho shag is a bit of a complex one. And if you add the layer of coyote hunting on top of it, like that could be a whole episode in itself. I do want to talk about that a little bit, but just for the purposes of like uh, easing our way into this story, I want to set aside the coyote hunting for a moment though I find it fascinating. And let's just let's just yep. focus on the shag as a as a herding dog or as a stock dog right now. And so um, do you I know you you said that you mostly got the dog hoping it could your first Idaho shag hoping it could be useful in coyote hunting. But do you also um, work any stock? Do you have a farm? Um, do you use it as a cow your, your dogs yeah. as cow dogs? When I first got Ringo uh, about 10 years ago, I was coyote hunting a lot and I really wanted to get into that, but I was also uh, guiding pigeon hunts on bears and feedlots here in Idaho all summer and into the fall, okay. uh, like on a weekly basis. And in that situation, we're hunting in these pens of cows. And so we're setting up our decoy spread uh, in, these, in these pens. And a lot of the time, the cows will kind of swarm you and <laughs> want to check out. Uh, what you're doing this whole scene is they're curious and investigative uh and Ringo is awesome because he was so gritty and all he wanted to do was was bite a cow uh as many cows as possible he was great for uh keeping those cows away from us um and like getting them to figure out they don't want to be anywhere near us so I used him a lot uh in the first couple years helping me with that um, and then any any opportunity I had to put him on cows, uh, I, I always jumped at the opportunity because he was he's always been good at it and it was a lot of fun to to see him work. So I wasn't uh, like a necessity all the time, but he definitely uh, got to to see his fair share of cows and not only to is helping me, but just to see what he was about and see what he was as he matured. Sure. Yeah. Excellent. That, see, you just added another layer I could talk to you about for a whole episode. So let's, I would love to le- know more about pigeon hunting on stockyards. Um, yeah. But, but again, um, let's, let's kind of zero in on this, uh, the stock dog issue. And so um, I think this is a great time to say to our audience that there are, like you said, a lot of misconceptions and a lot of misinformation about the origins of the Idaho shag. Um, what even what its intended purpose was, it's led, it's created all sorts of paths in different directions now, most of which um, I perceive as being kind of unhealthy for the development of the breed, the ongoing development of the breed as a stock dog. Um, but you, you, so we, there might be some controversy here. We might have some folks out here who have out there listening, who've heard of the Idaho shag and, and they're going to say, I don't know if that's true. My, the story I always heard was this. And let me just say that there's space for that. I'd love to have four episodes in the Idaho shag and hear four different origin stories for it. But, um, 
Seth, your your origin story that you know goes back to the James family and Ben James. And um, before we started recording, you mentioned this kind of chance meeting that you had um, with Mr. James. Um, you also described the James family as probably not being particularly interested in coming on the Farm Dog podcast to do an interview. They're mostly in, interested in just producing shags for their own ranch. But could you just tell me a little bit about that conversation you had with Mr. James? Yeah. Uh, so his son, Ben, is a little bit older than me, and uh, he has a set of his own dogs, and that's who I got Ron okay. from. Um, and then uh, he, one of our mutual friends, Hunter, and uh, and some, some other guys, I was in a, just in the right place at the right time one day where we swung by uh, their place, and they were all sitting on the, the back porch, and I had Ringo with me, and uh, Ben and Hunter asked me to bring him around and, and show Mr. James and tell what he was like. And I got to then pick his brain about his dog. Um, and he told me the, the story of the, the creation of them and the incidental situation that it was. Uh, he was working on a ranch and he was a young cowboy, uh, just like day working. And then the the rancher that he worked for um had some really nice uh purebred registered dogs and and then he just had some some nondescript uh mutt and see but they were all really good dogs and and he really wanted to breed his dog to the boss's dog and the boss had no interest in it because he didn't want to breed his purebred dog to a mutt uh, but one way or another, whether it was on purpose or an accident, uh, those dogs got bred and they kept the litter uh, on that ranch and, and worked the pups. And apparently they were so good that they then bred off of those pups and, and he kept that uh, line of dogs going uh, throughout his lifetime. And now into his son is doing it as well. But uh, like you said, a minute ago it's certainly not for uh fame or gain it's just for to produce using dogs for themselves and their friends and family uh and i believe that that's another reason why their dogs are are so good is because they don't breed any dogs they don't aren't breeding to use themselves um they don't they don't charge hardly anything for their dogs uh you know i think i, I think i paid like 250 bucks for ronda and uh magpie the most recent dog from them i think it was 300 bucks you know pretty cheap by uh buying puppies nowadays uh most most dogs are 500 dollars right. or more um and so uh as he told me that story and then told me about you know what he likes in a dog and uh what they've kind of been breeding for uh and what they use their dogs on uh it gave me a good understanding of and a respect for him for sure and, and what he's been doing with these dogs that's a great story um and you you mentioned that mr james revealed to you the breed backgrounds of the original two dogs the the crosses yeah but that you're somewhat sworn to secrecy on that so i'm not going to press you on that <laughs> um but, I don't know, and I don't recall exactly if he told me, like, you better not tell anybody, but it was, an, but just the type of guy he was, like, if you met him, you know, their family, like, it's a, it's a given, and, uh, like, yeah. I'll see, 
uh, conversation on like Facebook. They're not, they're not active on Facebook really, but I'm friends with, with Ben and uh, people will be, you know, trying to tell him what this dog is or speculating what they are. And, you know, he never says what they are, but he's just quick to say what they're not. Uh, and I think they have some satisfaction knowing with as much as they've blown up and are being, you know, uh, supposedly bred, uh, they know what the, they know what they have and they know it's different than what everyone else is trying to recreate. Right. It just adds to the mystique of the breed that that will remain yeah, a secret, exactly. what the original pairing was. But um, other yep. other other dogs from other breeds have been added into the mix over time, even by the James family. Is that correct? Yeah. Like I said, my dog Rhonda was uh, a quarter Australian Shepherd. Um, you know, when kind of what you said then and what I've seen them do since is, you know, when they see a good dog is where you find it, and they definitely have that mentality. They're not worried about the breeding or background of a dog. They're worried about what that dog can do, and then going, then seeing if that dog can produce uh, a more like itself. Um, which we know with, with a lot of situations, you get a dog that's really, really awesome, but it can't reproduce uh, what it what it is itself. Um, so there's a lot of experimentation that has to be done with crossbreeding dogs and you can't get caught up on uh the history or what was because you got to put all your focus into what is and what's going to be right okay so what 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 is it that the james family has valued over time in a dog and other you know diehard working dog ran uh ranchers and farmers who use shags for work on their ranches like what sorts of things have they valued and what sorts of things um, would the James family say, yes, that should be in the mix or that could be part yep. of the next litter of Idaho shags? Um, they, they do a lot of, like, uh, Ben is a, a rodeo clown and is, uh, they raise bucking bulls. Um, it seems that they've really valued, uh, a, a hard gritty cow dog, a dog that can do some heavy lifting and go up against the cow. Uh, one or two dogs and, you know, actually fight it and not, not back down um, and not quit. Uh, you know, they're uh, out on, out riding on the range, dogs that can do 20, 25 miles a day, uh, have great endurance, great athleticism, uh, uh, heat and cold tolerance. Um, they're definitely not, no special treatment to, to the dogs per se, um, they've got to be able to, to handle themselves and, and keep up. Uh, and that's another thing that kind of struck me when I first talked to them and then the dogs that instant, um, they're just really looking for, uh, you know, that a next level of, of dog that can, you know, just really, really work day in and day out in uh, tough situations. Sure. And w would this be more of a um, loose-eyed pushing dog or a, you know, uh, a more strong-eyed gathering dog like a Border Collie? Yeah, definitely uh, more of the, the looser pushing uh, dog more than uh, a gather and hold. Um, I mean, like my, my dog Ringo has a lot of, of eye and uh, in the sense of kind of like you compared to a Border Collie. But uh, in their dogs, traditionally what they look for, they're not looking for that so much. Uh, they want more of a, a circle and gather type dog. 
Okay. Maybe a little bit of, a little bit of bark, but definitely a lot of bite. Okay. I gotcha. Um, and to what extent, now these are unique looking dogs and, and, and we can't have an episode about the Idaho shag without talking about the appearance of these dogs. But to what extent do you think that, and I'm asking, I'm asking yourself to maybe go out on a limb here and speak for somebody else, but how, how much do you think that has been a priority in the James family's breeding of these dogs over the years? Are they going for a particular appearance um, or do, is that secondary? They do like the, they do like the, the hair. Like these dogs have a, a good coat on them and, a lot of people that don't have any experience with them will uh, like get them and, and shave them down every year. But for as much as they have an insulating properties against the cold, they also can uh, insulate against the, the hot sun with a big fluffy coat uh, and keeping the, the sun off their skin. So I think that there definitely is uh, some, you know, practical use to the, to the coat, but, seeing in their dogs you know some of their dogs turn out to be uh much more slick haired like uh Rhonda's mom was was pretty slick and didn't have uh, a big fuzzy coat like you typically see um but she was one of uh she was a very great dog by their standards and they bred her and, and kept puppies from her um so it's not like they're trying to to keep that that coat in any particular look or coloration uh definitely just judging off the working ability, the, the form follows function model without, uh, you know, they're not purposely thinking of that, but that's how it all shapes up. Right. Okay. So they, they care about how the coat looks to the extent that it helps them function the way they want them to. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Okay. So that's a great point for us, uh, to talk about this coat and to talk about what this dog looks like. And, uh, this calls for a big caution here. So why don't I just say it this way? And I know no one will listen to me. Nobody will do what I say here, but don't run to Facebook and search for the Idaho shack, because what you will find is lots of adorable looking dogs on leashes and on couches. Um, and they are super cute. And even, you know, the more diehard working dogs are super, super cute too. They have beards, they have hair sticking up everywhere. Some of them are super fuzzy. They're all different types of colors. Um, and they are fun looking dogs. So I know that that was a horrible way to limit you. That just encourages you all to go out and search for pictures of the Idaho <laughs> shag. But it's kind of important to the Idaho shag story, and it does make you curious about the breed background. So um, while respecting, Seth, uh, that, that we won't, we won't want to divulge the original pairing of the, the first batch of Idaho shags, can we play that game a little bit of what's not in the Idaho shag breed background? Are you up for that? Before Seth starts telling us more about the breed background of the Idaho Shag, just want to cut in here a minute and say thank you to listener Dane, who long ago suggested that this would be a good topic for a podcast interview. Dane, thank you so much. Uh, Dane sent us that information through farmdogpodcast.com. There you can go also and find an email form where you can leave us a question or a topic suggestion or perhaps a recommendation of somebody who would make a great farm dog guest. We love that. Obviously, Dane has helped us out, and so have other 
uh, listeners to Farm Dog with topic suggestions. So keep them coming. We really appreciate it. Also, while you're there at farmdogpodcast.com, note that there's a button that says shop and you can click that button and get yourself some farm dog merchandise now there's also some merchandise on that storefront uh, from goats on the go which is the sponsor of this uh, podcast and uh, there's some good stuff there and is really the only source of revenue that we have for this podcast so if you appreciate uh, this episode or if you appreciated some of the other information we provided do us a favor sometime order yourself a hat or a t-shirt we would really appreciate it, and it helps uh, tell us that you're listening and that you want to hear Farm Dog continue. Thanks so much, everybody. Back to the show. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I always see uh, like the, the James family is not active on Facebook, but I do see them in conversations with, with other people that are speculating on what the dog is or someone not knowing who they are trying to tell them this and that about <laughs> the dogs that uh, they created. And they don't even clap back with, hey, I created this dog. Like, you, know, you don't even know who you're talking to. They just laugh and, and keep on moving down the line. But uh, they do. They are quick to say that there's no Airedale, no Border Collie, uh, which some people will say it's Border Collie, Airedale, Cross. Um, and that seems to be the, the most common uh, mix-up that I see that people falsely perpetuate. Um, uh-huh. Because they, at first glance, that is kind of what, people think and you could cross a border collie and an Airedale and get a very similar looking dog and, you, and people do. Um, and you can get a great working dog. You know, you can get essentially the same right. type of dog, the same, the same characteristics and qualities uh, in that. And people have, and, and have had some great dogs, but if we're talking about the original Idaho shag where all this uh, hype originated, uh, it was not Airedale and it was not border collie. Not Airedale and not Border Collie. So you no. can see how people and I, come up. And I'm a big and I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan of Border Collies myself. You know, those are my dogs that got me into dogs. Um, but the they aren't aren't really Border Collie fans. I'm sure uh, if you're familiar with the the back and forth of, of this this breed's better than this breed when it comes to herding dogs. Border Collies have a bad rap of being soft. Uh, you know, very intelligent, very good at their jobs, but originally sheep dogs they can sometimes lack uh, that, that uh, next, next level uh, when it comes to rough stock. Uh, and that's where these dogs are kind of bred to, to fill that niche of a dog that uh, doesn't, doesn't back down from a, a hard fight. Right. Okay. Yep. You can see how people who, you know, without knowing the original mix, they see opportunity in these, in dogs that look like this and behave like this. they you know, maybe some of them even have dollar signs in their eyes. Okay, how do we duplicate that Idaho shag? We know it came from working ranches, so it's probably a herding breed. And we know it's got this yep. really fun, fluffy coat. Um, and it's kind of a bearded dog. And so how do we put that into it? Well, let's go with an Airedale. I, I can totally see how people arrive at that. How about um, yep. like, like a, a standard schnauzer or giant schnauzer? Yeah, you also have to think of like what would be available uh, in rural Idaho. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, the 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 shag never really got popular until about you know 2018, say when uh, there's an influx of of out of staters moving to Idaho. Uh, it never it never really got 
you know, famous or well-known until that happens. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the, the type of people that uh, kind of blew it up and got all excited about it. Um, born and raised Idahoans are uh, a certain breed, whether you're raised in town or out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and now we have a very different culture and, and type of people that are, that are living here. And so I think that's where I saw uh, a lot of people start breeding them and, and selling them, the Facebook groups popping up and uh, all this uh, conf- conflicting information being thrown around. Gotcha. So if I'm a suburban Californiaite who moved to Idaho, uh, as many, many did, and I look at this ranch dog and I think, man, I, that is an adorable dog. And I would love to have like the patina of an ranch Idaho life. shag, right? Right, yeah. right. I'd like you could get a golden doodle or an Idaho shag. Obviously, I mean, you want to get the cooler, the Idaho dog. All right. So. I go, right. I see him in, I see him in dog parks. I see him at the pound. I see him walking down the street. There's uh, definitely a fair amount of them around nowadays. Right. Or but something. As, as, as we're, as we're getting at though, there's a, I say there's a fair amount of them around nowadays. There is uh there's less than ever of the, the James family bloodline, but there's a lot of the remakes and they look very similar, if not the exact same. But when we go out and, try to do a hard day's work on some cows with them we really will see a difference right and i bet those same people who you know want to approximate the idaho shag in their um new home in idaho um they probably have an interest in at least well i've heard this is a herding dog i sure would like to somebody to take it out and see if it can do the work too so i'm sure some of those dogs even if they're not very close to the original James mix actually uh, do get tested in that way and probably don't perform real well. Uh, I really like your, your point too, about if you're trying to figure out what, what the mix is, you got to start with dogs that would have been on ranches in an I- in Idaho to begin with. So something you can think of dogs that kind of look like the Idaho shag, but they probably wouldn't have ever been, likely to be part of the mix so you can rule out a bunch of dogs then um how about the poodle yeah same same thing like if you especially like the area where they came from these the Mackey, lemheim Simroy valleys uh even today still some of the most unsettled remote uh areas in idaho um you aren't going to see any, you're not even going to hardly see bird dogs because the, the people out there don't have time to hunt. They're strictly strictly working and resting until they have to go work again. And uh, you're just going to see the, your typical cow dog breeds out there. Yep. Okay. So I see in some of the pictures of at least supposed Idaho shags that there's a lot of like black, tan, and gray kind of mix. And so what about healers? Any healer in that mix? Um, I, I do see a lot of, uh, of quote unquote, Idaho shags being crossed with, with healers nowadays, but, uh, after talking to the James family, they hate healers and they would <laughs> never let a healer, uh, you know, be in that mix and, and keep it around to, to even try. Um, so no, no healer either. Okay. Okay. What about some of the other longer haired collies besides the border collie? Yep. Yep. Uh, you know, like Australian Shepherd, like I mentioned, and there is a lot of other uh, longer haired collie breeds. Um, one, 
one thing I will say and a hint I'll give is there's a lot of working breeds. Well, I'll even take it back a step further and say this. Uh, when it comes to working breeds that we see modern day, uh, for example, the Irish Wolfhound uh, and a lot of Mastiff type dogs, like we can look back historically and see, you know, art paintings and depictions of these dogs of war and these hunting dogs uh, that were depended on and used for things that, you know, would never be required of a dog nowadays but it was just common and, and much a, a very needed job back in, you know, hundreds of years ago. Um, those dogs that were being used uh, in that time period uh, essentially became extinct when the, all the crazy events of the, the, the world wars, um, the, the governments, like you think of the world wars wiping out certain dogs, there's the U.S. government uh, going up and systematically wiping out the Eskimos uh, sled dogs uh, up in the Arctic. Um, you know, people have depended on dogs for survival and the opposing team in these wars and conflicts knew that. Uh, and so it was a strategy to wipe out these dogs and in many situations they did. Uh, and then years later, things settled down and people get to trying to recreate uh, what those dogs were using little bits and pieces of what they can collect. But in the end, you can end up with a dog that looks identical almost to these historical pictures, but in reality, uh, you know, they, they're nothing like those, those animals that were, uh, like the dogs of war when it comes to the massive nowadays wolfhounds, there's no wolfhound, uh, I, there's no Irish wolfhound alive in the world that we can take out wolf hunting here in the Idaho mountains and expect mm -hmm. to do anything resembling wolf hunting. Um, it's the same with, uh, you know, say the fifties, the sixties, the, the world really started to change and people started to rely less and less on dogs and having dogs as pets wasn't even a thing uh you know if it was before the great depression it certainly wasn't much very common during and and then world wars came along and people are rationing food uh and then these these uh working breeds really died out you can look at old pictures of the herding dogs the protection dogs um and they just look vastly different than they do today so even if somebody had uh, the original recipe to these dogs, um, there's a very slim chance that you'd be able to go out and find uh, these working breeds that in the 50s, 60s, and 70s were still around to be had. And now they just died off and you can see them in the AKC show ring and kind of like Irish Wolfhounds, there's just not a dog out there that's going to go out into the and onto the range and go go 25 miles and have three big fights with an angry bull throughout the day and then go to sleep and wake up and do it again the next day um and so we really only have access to to what we have and another reason to not get too uh caught up on breeds when developing mixed breed dogs because it all comes down to the individual dog uh not all the the breed in, in history behind that dog Right. It comes down to the capabilities of those particular representatives of a breed, not the breed exactly. broadly. Yeah. Exactly. yeah, that's, yeah. that's a great point. I, I love this story because um, I'm constantly having this duel in my mind as I think about dogs and dog breeds of like the, the pure breed enthusiasts and the, the folks who cross breeds 
crossbreeds to get a product that they need for a specific purpose on their farm and ranch. And like, which is right, which is better. There's predictability perhaps in keeping a breed pure, but if there was a need that existing purebreds weren't fulfilling, then there obviously was a reason to cross. And by the way, how did we ever get all these breeds anyway, except for lots of different crosses um, to right. ach achieve different purposes. And so I love the story of the I Idaho shag and others like it because they're just born out of practicality. But yep. in this case, the story has what I consider to be a not very productive turn, which is coincidentally in producing this dog for a particular family's need on the ranch, there is now this super cute dog that has taken on designer status and designer status that comes with this, like we, we talked about, like this patina of ranch life. Um, and if you, if you go searching for pictures of, or videos of the Idaho shag, you will find almost none of them actually doing farm and ranch work unless riding on a tractor or in a pickup or a Jeep counts as farm and ranch work. Um, yeah. In my book, I, don't, I, don't, I hate to be, I hate to be uh, like a jerk to, or, or sound like a jerk, but there was a point where I'm like, all right, I have these, these dogs that, and I would like to, to always have these dogs, you know, I'm going to just go try to find someone else out there who's trying to breed good Idaho shag. And uh, in, you know, five or six plus years of, of looking through and social media connects uh, all these, these people. And it's been really, really handy in, in making connections with these, with, with dogs of both, uh, of all the different dogs I'm into. Um, but I've, there's been a, there's a few guys, very few here and there, uh, you know, like one per state that I see really dedicated to this type of dog, uh, working them every day and, and trying to make them better. But I see dozens and dozens and dozens of people that are, have a breeding program, you know, a stud and a couple females and they produce a few litters a year. But when I go to these people, I, I say, can we see some videos of these dogs working? Like you got them on some cows, like you, you, you riding and, and working with them on the range um and there's nothing <laughs> so like you say uh i don't want to sound jerk but i just it seems like it's solid tractor riding back back of the truck riding uh and in in town and like these facebook groups you mentioned you can just scroll through and you see even though these dogs are you know subpar by a, a true cowboy's standard to the cow dog they still are too much for a pet neighborhood apartment uh. environment and you see uh, literally, literally all the time, this dog bit my kid, this dog is tearing my house apart, this dog, I can't live with it, help, help, help. And you need to see all this terrible advice being given from all these people who also don't know the dog who read something online. It's just a, a mess. Um, they all look cute, but even, even a, a dog that maybe isn't the best cow dog isn't doesn't mean that it's fit to be a couch potato pet. Uh, and there's just so much uh, misinformation being strewn, whether people just don't know or whether they're lying to sell puppies. Uh, it's really gone down the, the tube for the, for the dog. Uh, that is very easy to see for me. 
yeah, it's a really familiar story, isn't it? I mean, the the border collie who lives in an urban apartment. Yep. You know, like the, the these are not. Lives in their, in, yeah. Yeah, I mean, these are things we should have learned our lessons about by now, you know. But instead, we Never. folks tend to choose uh, dog breeds based on superficial things and how. Yeah how that particular breed makes them feel as opposed to what's the right breed for their actual lifestyle. Um, and foundationally it's a cow dog, you know? So even as you start to stray away from that original purpose, it's going to retain some of those, some of those traits that are not so good for, um, off farm life. Yeah. That's fascinating. Yep. So what do you, what do you think? Like, let's just agree that at some level that's a problem. Um, what is the solution for the Idaho shag as a, as a working dog? Is it to maintain kind of its mystery and secrecy and the people who know, know, and if you really want a working Idaho shag, you just have to do your homework and dig deep because there's just a few pockets and a few places that have real Idaho shags, or is the solution to be bigger and more open and more public? So at least people don't make the mistake of buying um the wrong dog or a dog that doesn't suit their purpose um i think that uh slightly a combination of both but i think there's a, there's a few different uh things that come to mind when you say that there's there's what i think there's what the the, the family that created them thinks and then there's what the other people out there that want to get into these dogs or, or give them a try uh you know they deserve a, a fair shot at getting a, a good dog um i think that the like the family themselves them and their friends you know they have their their connections their their network they're always going to have uh good dogs you know um then two of his two of his very best dogs uh got killed by a bad bull this summer and left him uh, in a tight spot and i saw that and i, I texted him and, and said hey you know i have this, this female pup uh here that i just bought from you a little while ago you know if you need to take her back uh I, i'm willing to do that um and he was appreciative of that he said you know and i thought he was going to but he ended up not having to thankfully for for me because i i uh this is the last after seeing those dogs get killed, now I know that I knew I had a, a good dog before, but now I have a really special dog. Um, mm -hmm. My dog Ringo is getting old, and I hope to breed him to this female. So, like me and, and them, uh, we're, I keep a bunch of dogs myself. We're always going to have uh, access to, to what we need. Um, I think that the ship has kind of sailed on, like, there's no cleaning up the the mess of all these people selling uh you know the knockoff version um and, and selling them to people that don't realize what they're getting into or haven't done their homework and don't realize that it's not what they need or want um but they but then again there's a, a lot of people out there who do have a use for them i i my dog ringo i could tell all sorts of stories and, and what a cool dog he is uh, and Rhonda, and then all the dogs that they have produced, and, and their kids and grandkids, some really special, amazing dogs that 
uh, are very intense and high drive, but also are highly intelligent and have an amazing off switch, um, almost to the point of being unbelievable. And, you know, my friends that have, that have got, or people that have become my friends through, through sharing these dogs with, um, you know, great dogs are a great thing. And if you're going to, you know, produce dogs like, like I am, I need to, you know, make sure that I do my part like this and come and, and just share the, the, I've been lucky enough to, you know, this isn't anything cause I'm smart or, uh, have, have jumped through the hoops to make these connections. It's just been people that have been nice enough to, to tell me and share with me and share these dogs. Uh, and so there, there definitely is some work to be done in, in putting the good word out and making sure that, that people have the best information they can. Yeah. Yeah. I almost wonder, um, if like, I, I have really mixed feelings about this myself, but there almost needs to be an association for working shags that, that establishes some test standards. Um, you know, yes, yes. And, and no, well, finish, finish your thought before I interrupt. Well, I, I, part of my thought is somebody ought to go out, somebody who cares about working dogs ought to go out right away and trademark the name Idaho shag, because, you know, going back to the border collies history, when the border collie was going to be recognized by the AKC and the, the serious working border collie people didn't want that to happen because they knew what the result would be. One of their attempts right. to prevent um, the AKC from confusing lots of people and diluting the stock was to attempt to um, trademark the name Border Collie, but it was already in, in common use. And so they were unable to do yep. that. Um, it seems like if it's not already happened, somebody ought to trademark the name Idaho, Idaho Shag and then create an association. It just seems like there needs to be like, okay, if you folks want to have what you believe to be an Idaho Shag, at least take it and run with it in that direction um toward better uh suburban life and work getting a bunch of those working trades worked out of it so that it's just a better pet but then these folks should go the other direction you know and and kind of reinforce those working traits and really put some standards about around what a working idaho shag should be um like i said i have mixed feelings about that i don't love associations, but it just seems like that's, I don't know how else you, um, solidify the dog's place in the working world. Right. Um, my, I'd never even really thought about it in regards to the shags, but I guess is if any dog that's ever become popular, uh, has, has time gone on like the, the hanging tree cow dog, for example, the, good example of that where they have their own uh registry um it takes takes a really long time for a dog to be uh bred to the point where it's consistent um yes. like like drossars or jag terriers uh, from germany they have a very intense uh testing system to be registered and then to be bred uh but then, like with, when you think about it, like Drossars are a prime example. You have the, the Germans back in Germany, and they 
the first people who created this dog because it's putting all this time and work into breeding uh, this dog into what they wanted. And then it became consistent and spread across the world, especially over here in the United States. And so now here in the United States, you have these people participating in that uh, breed standard, breed testing, strict regulation that was laid out by the original, you know, people that created the dog. But yet you still have a very different, these people have very different expectations for their, uh, for their draw hours uh, than the original Germans did. The original Germans weren't doing much uh, bird hunting. Uh, maybe, you know, obviously they don't live in a, a place like the U.S. South Dakota looks a lot different than Germany. But if you have a Drothar breeder out in South Dakota, he's testing his dogs and holding his dogs to a high, high standard of their, their ranging, their pointing, their retrieving abilities. But there's no big wild boars out in South Dakota. And these people aren't hog hunting their dogs and testing their dogs uh, in a, in a swamp on a fight with a massive animal that's beating the crap out of it and the dog still hangs tough and, and keeps its hold until you run in there in spirit. Uh, and so, you know, you look at these two dogs, the same breed, the same, they look identical. It's not a very, uh, it doesn't have this huge gene pool like the lab uh, where there's this huge discrepancy within the breed standard, but yet you have a very different dog than what the, the original uh, creators uh, wanted. So maybe some of them say, oh, this is, this is cool though. Like our dogs are versatile. They're over here doing uh, this job really, really amazingly. Then you have other guys that are like, screw all that. I need a dog first and foremost to run in here into this mud hole and, and latch onto this giant pig until I get there in spirit. Uh, and this guy then says, well, all these dogs over here are crap and they shouldn't be in the breed registry. Now you have this argument uh, between people on what's what, and in the but they're really all trying to have the same dog. So that's like a 150 year old, or I don't, I'm not familiar with Drothars uh, to a high degree to quote how old the breed is. But uh, same with this Jag Terriers. And man, just a couple days ago, literally two days ago, I'm on Facebook, and here in America we have a, a, a I, I don't like to say the germ the proper name is Yawk Terrier, but I just call them Jags because that's how it's spelled. And that's how I'm going right. to say it. So the, Jag, the Jag Terrier Club uh, has a big uproar because the guy says, you know, all, all you people have this big point system and like this, this stuff to try to get your, before you can breed the dog, but it's all crap because uh, your dogs are actually pretty soft and weak compared to these other dogs that, uh, you know, are, are what I consider a real Jag Terrier super hard, super game, and just a, a true uh, earth terrier. So when it's circling back to the Idaho Shags, uh, anytime you try to get some people together um, to, to maintain and to, to try to make a collective effort, people are with their shortcomings screw it all up, and there starts to be drama, there starts to be uh, no one has the same expectation or exactly what they want. Uh, and so in the end, it all, you still have, uh, different types of, of dogs and different types of people. Um, I think when it comes to the dogs, it, it just comes down to the individual dog. Someone needs to do the research on going and talking to somebody. And if they can't see 
the parents of a of a litter that they're interested in in getting from and seeing seeing those dogs in action somehow to know what you're getting um you know the the collective effort of the group to try to narrow it down and and make it consistent is all it does is create a bunch of arguments and drama amongst the people it could just be modern day people you know long ago people were more simple they didn't have all these distractions they relied on their dogs uh as necessity rather than just a hobby um and they were more capable of, of doing that but now whether it's a small club here in the states that's arguing amongst themselves or whether it's the akc which is allowing silver labs to be read and read and registered uh and any dog that's ever entered the akc uh pedi- the registry has immediately fallen apart as a breed uh right. and become think is a working breed uh it's just not a good pattern of events uh and so like if if, again people are entitled to do whatever they want to do whatever they have fun with so like i don't want to be a jerk and say that's stupid and uh and bad for the dog but i wouldn't take any part in it or put any hope in it uh to be able to stay for help the dog as a as a whole yeah, that's a, those are some fantastic points, and it's exactly why I said, you know, I don't love associations, but I don't know that I see a better solution for defining the difference between the pet Idaho shags, in quotations, and the working Idaho shags as they were intended to be. I guess, you know, you can't solve the people problem, and that's why I don't have any problem with crossbreeds. You know, I... If somebody is crossing dogs thoughtfully with the intent of solving a problem they have on their local farm or or ranch, like I just don't get uptight about that like a lot of people do. And in fact, I think it's kind of cool. It produces discussions like we're having now about a cool dog breed, the Idaho shag. Um, you also drew some really interesting parallels there with the Drothar. Um, I've had a Drothar. I totally know what you mean. I know that, you know, the German registry Drothar, that those dogs in order to pass the tests to be bred are, um, you know, they're supposed to trail furred game. Um, but yep. there's there's a whole different fork of the American. So this is going to sound weird. The quote, American German wire-haired pointer now that they're trying to breed that out of them. So one of the main characteristics of what made that a versatile dog in the German registry turns out to be annoying to upland game hunters, bird hunters in the United States. We don't want those dogs yeah. pointing pointing rabbits and wasting my time. We're after pheasants, we're after yeah. quail, et cetera. So, or and then, just putting their nose down. Like in order to scent birds, the dog needs to run with his head up as he runs through the field versus if he's going to catch the scent, of, the faint scent of a pig passing by hours before, he needs to be able to run with his head close to the ground depending on the situation. So if you're strictly bird hunting, never hog hunting, uh, you never want your dog to be nose to the ground. He's going to miss off uh, and run right past birds uh, and versus the other way around. So right. another example of the, the discrepancies. Yep. No, no matter how good a dog breed is, there's always somebody who says, yeah, but, and in some ways that's kind of cool. I think, um, you know, that's how we get all these cool. It really has to be, obviously everybody needs different dog. Like some, some people don't hog hunt, nothing wrong with that. They need a bird dog. Uh, and, and they might not want the, 
the characteristics of the English pointer, the setter, uh, and that wire hair or that drop hour uh, fall into their lifestyle perfectly. Um, they deserve to have whatever type of dog they want and, and like, you know, there's not, I hate when I see, you know, the guy over here that says, well, my, my dog's better because it'll hunt this pig. Uh, well, your dog's better for you, but for this, this guy, this is the best dog he could ever have in his lifetime. And it's just plain rude uh, for you to belittle his dog in any way because of what it does or doesn't do. Right. So while, while we're on hunting, and maybe we can wrap up talking about this, you, you use your uh, Idaho shags for coyote hunting, it sounds like, quite a bit. And I saw some cool pictures on uh, Facebook of, of the results of some of your hunts. Tell us about how the Idaho shag as a breed served you, serves you well in coyote hunting, and like what gave you the idea that that would be a good breed to start with for that purpose? Um, like I said, I grew up with border collies and they, uh, my, my family wasn't into hunting or working dogs or anything like that, but, uh, I got myself into it. And then with these border collies, I trained them to bird hunt for me, retrieve ducks, uh, you know, hunt small game. Um, and so I already knew that a herding dog, uh, is a pretty versatile dog. If you put time and effort into them, you can teach them to do just about anything. Um, out here where I live out West, like if I lived, uh, in the Midwest, uh, or uh, Texas or Oklahoma, uh, you know, you see a lot of cur dogs, uh, as, as cow dogs. And that might've been what I ended up, uh, getting into first just by the nature of it. But because out West, uh, the, the border collie type herding dogs are, are what's most common. Um, that's just kind of what. Uh, how it ended up um i think that it worked out great though because uh like my friends get border collies and and will decoy with them and they're great at it uh but they lack they're almost too smart in some senses where they know that the coyote's going to get shot and if the guy's not careful the dog ends up like out thinking the guy and when, when a coyote comes in you know half the time the dog will go out and chase back and forth but sometimes the dog sits there and looks at the at the guy and says you know hurry up and shoot it <laughs> we know what the the end game is here and the coyote's in position this is what we're here for um versus uh, a terrier or a crew dog is just happy to kind of blindly uh chase and, and and pursue that coyote without uh and is happy to do that as, as much as they are to chew on it when it's dead uh or can have the the mission completed by shooting it. So with these Idaho shags, uh, because they're not such a, a, a watchy, uh, eye-oriented dog, they really destroy the, the push uh, and the, the action um, that naturally they were good decoy dogs because they love just running out there and interacting with fighting with the coyotes. Um, I just seemed uh, another big thing for them is that, you know, they, they use their nose. My dogs and what I consider the true Idaho shags use their nose really well. Uh, so for blood trailing, um, that sort of thing, they naturally take that. Um, and then, uh, like my dog Ringo trees really well, which is kind of rare for a cow dog. Uh, 
uh, he's hmm. perfectly satisfied and happy to sit under a tree and and bark and, and wait like he has no concept of time. Uh, he will will sit at that tree for forever. Um, so for the hunting aspect, uh, it really fit in well. Okay. So I think in order for uh, me and our audience to have a full understanding of what makes a good coyote dog and why the Idaho shag provided a good foundation for you, I think we would have to tease apart coyote hunting to a much greater degree. Like there's, there's a lot of uh, nuance to it and there's, you know, decoying and other methods of hunting coyotes. And so I'd love to have you back sometime, Seth, to talk specifically about coyote hunting. I don't think we have the time to get deep enough in it here so that our audience can get a full picture of why the Idaho shag mates a good coyote dog. Uh, is that something you'd be up for in the yeah. future? Sure. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, talk a long time on all the different parts of that. So we'll save that for another longer conversation. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Uh, in the meantime, Seth, um, if somebody is really, well, first of all, let me say earlier when I told you all not to go looking for pictures of the Idaho shag, I know you did anyway, and I was just kidding, but our audience is, is mostly working dog people. If somebody says, boy, I would really like to know more about an Idaho shag and if it might be useful on my farm or ranch. I know that the resources are limited. Can you at least point our folks in the right direction, knowing that part of the exercise here is the work? And if you're really serious, you'll dig deep enough to find uh, good resources for the Idaho shag. But can you at least point them in the right direction? Yeah, um, I'm thinking for a minute here. Like I, when I first was interested in them, uh, I did as much research as I could find online. Um, and there's been a few articles written and, you know, a few snippets from interviews uh, of people, but mostly just things stuff I did, like where they came from uh, and what they're used for. Um, you know, there's, there is some Facebook groups where there's certainly plenty of, of things to sift through, uh, dogs being bred and, and sold and the idea of, you can also just see the different crosses that people are making or saying that they have in 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 their version of the best, uh, and you can find those easily on on Facebook. I think that they have quite a few members now. It seems that there's a lot of posts made in them. Um, you know, people can look me up on Facebook if they have any questions in particular that I that we didn't go over. I'm happy to to answer and help. Um, you know, the biggest thing I can tell people is if they're looking for a dog uh, and they it's something that interests them and something that they want to try, uh, just like with any any dog, just really put a focus into uh, trying to figure out what the people use them for, um, what the lifestyle is, and what the dogs in particular are like, and that's going to be your best bet at getting a dog that fits your style. Um, yeah, other than that, hopefully people take interest in it that uh, can put together some good information for people to look up on the internet about them because I know it is very, very limited. Yeah, yeah. So I know that um, Facebook is where we all go for the 100% unvarnished absolute truth all the time. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, that's what I was going to do. You'll see all social stuff. 
Yeah, but that that just know when you go looking for information about the Idaho shag. I guess if we did any good here today, Seth, on our episode about the Idaho shag, is to set people um, on a starting position from a starting position where they know that they're going to have to filter through some stuff and that there's not yeah. there's a lot of misinformation out there about it, and you're going to see some really cute pictures of of cool looking dogs. Um, but if you're really serious about pursuing this and maybe getting an Idaho shag yourself, you're going to have to work. And, uh, I think that that's, that will only add to the reward if you end up with a good working Idaho shag on your farm or ranch. So anything else to no add, doubt. Seth? No, I think that, uh, I covered all I was thinking of, of sharing you asking me questions. Okay, good, good. Well, Seth, thank you so much. Um, I'm glad I finally got to talk to you and thank you for uh, being persistent through some of our tech problems here today. Um, I'm looking forward to talking to you, talking to you some more about hunting with Idaho shag, Idaho shag in the future. Yeah, we'll do it. All right. Thanks. Talk to you later. Thanks for listening to farm dog. If you enjoyed this episode or any of the other episodes, please subscribe, leave us a positive review and tell someone about it. Thanks.